You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Leviticus chapter 20. Verse 26. It says, You must be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. I have set you apart from all other people to be my very own. Lord, I just thank you so much again for the opportunity, Lord, to feed your sheep. Lord, I pray that you speak through me tonight. Lord, I pray that everyone here can, can walk away a little bit closer to you. Lord, I pray that I can paint a picture of you, Lord, that um, is very kind and compassionate. Lord, especially through tonight's chapter that seems so harsh. Lord, I pray that you just give us the the love in our hearts that we need to be able to serve you properly. All this we ask in your name. Amen. All right, so we're in the book of Leviticus. We're almost done. We've got just a couple of chapters left. Um, so let's start. You may be seated. I'm not sure if I said that. All right, so here's the question. Before we dive in, we're reading the Levitical law. This is one of the most popular questions that a pastor is asked, okay? What laws in Leviticus do we have to obey today? Do we have to obey any of them? Do we have to obey all of them? All right, the answer is no, we don't have to obey them. And good night. No. No, the actual, actually, the answer is kind of yes, kind of no. Um, when Jesus died and he rose and he went to heaven, he left us something very special that no one had ever had before. He left the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us and guides us by doing two things. Number one, convicting us of our wrongdoing. We've all been there. We all know how it feels to be convicted. Number two, by encouraging us towards righteousness. Matthew 22 verse 37 says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen to this. The entire law and all demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So everything we've been learning the last few weeks is tied under two things. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and love others as you love yourselves, okay? That means if you can just love God and love others, you don't have to worry about Leviticus at all because you will just by default obey everything that's in Leviticus if you love God and love others. Okay, so now we know that if you do one, which is love God and love others, you automatically do the other. The reason the Israelites needed the law, okay, this is important, write this down if you need to. The reason the Israelites needed the law is because they had yet to be given the Holy Spirit in the capacity that we have it today. Let me give you an illustration of what I mean. My kids are always the best illustration I can think of, okay? So I have two kids. Uh, I have Kate, who is five, and I have Ethan, who is three. I would love to just sit them down and uh, get them to obey perfectly, right? but it doesn't always happen that way. I want them to love mom and dad. I want them to honor us, and I want them to treat each other with respect. I want them to show love and kindness to each other. Now, my dream would be for them to do that perfectly, but it's not always the case. But I can tell you that they have not developed the capacity yet to understand what it means to love mom and dad and what it means to truly honor us. So guess what? They need some help. Since they don't understand yet what it means to do those things, we have to give them rules and guidelines to help them understand what that means, all right? So here's my example. Ethan, do not hit girls 
that is not loving and kind, you will be punished for that. Or, Kate, you cannot take someone else's toy away from them and make them cry. That is not loving and kind. You will be punished for that. Now, I would love to be able to just say, honor your, honor your father and mother and be kind and loving to each other and not have to worry about it, right? But they don't have the capacity to understand, so I have to give them laws. I have to give them rules. <clears throat> As they get older, and I apply more rules for different situations and different life circumstances, they will learn what it means to honor mom and dad and to show love and kindness to each other. And one day, they will be walking out the door to spend time with their friends, and all I will have to do is say, Kate, Ethan, when you leave today, I want you to honor your father and mother. And they will go out, and they will behave exactly the way they're supposed to. <laughs> My kids are actually still young enough to where I'm still holding on to the dream that they'll be perfect, right? But your laughter is very discouraging to me. really discouraging. <laughs> so when we read Leviticus and you see some of these crazy laws, you have to remember that these laws were written to a specific group of people at a specific time under specific circumstances. That's why they couldn't eat bacon back then, but we can eat bacon today. They had different circumstances. We have the ability today to raise pigs that don't have certain diseases that will kill everybody, right? So it's actually very loving to serve me bacon now, okay? But it's not loving or beneficial to me at all to serve me bacon that has diseases in it, all right? So God was protecting them. God was being kind and loving and generous to them and enabling them to be kind and loving and generous to each other by not allowing them, <coughs> excuse me, to serve diseased food to each other. All right, so before we get started, let's do a quick review of what the, the book of Leviticus is all about. Since we know it's a book of laws, we know that chapters 1 through 7, if you've been here the full time, you know that that was God's laws concerning sacrifices. Chapters 8 through 10 was God's ceremonial laws regarding the priesthood. 11 through 22, God's ceremonial laws concerning purification. And then 23 through the end, God's laws regarding feasts, festivals, tithes, offering, vows, etc., etc. Now, these laws were intended to govern the people. They didn't require perfection because the Israeli people did not have it in them. They could not be perfect, right? So these rules had to act as a guidance. The point of God's law, as seen in Leviticus 20, the verse we read at the beginning, was, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And that is essentially the same thing as saying, love God with all of your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. So, Chapter 24 starts inside the tabernacle. Did everybody get one of these fancy little pieces of paper? Pastor Phil's out of town, so I decided to use color tonight. Let's not tell him. That was by accident, and the damage was already done, so I decided to just roll with it. All right, so you'll see that basically this tabernacle is one giant room, but it had one divider towards the end, a big curtain, that separated the Ark of the Covenant. All right, now, on the outside, covering the whole thing, it had animal skins, okay? Not super fashionable, uh, but it worked, okay? But on the inside, it was ins insanely beautiful, okay? If you look, there's gold everywhere, precious metals. There's precious jewels everywhere. And when I say precious metals, I mean gold as in pure gold, right? Now, 
We're going to learn about three items tonight. If you look on the right side, there's three things in there. You see a table, then you see um, a lampstand, and you see what looks like an altar. Okay? So we're going to be looking at these three things first, and then we're going to be dealing with someone who thinks they're Mr. Tough Guy here at the end. All right, so verse 1, chapter 24. The Lord said to Moses, Command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the lot, to keep the lamps burning continually. This is the lampstand that stands in the tabernacle, in front of the inner curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant. Aaron must keep the lamps burning in the Lord's presence all night. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed from generation to generation. Aaron and the priest must tend to the lamps of the pure gold, pure gold lampstand continually in the Lord's presence. Okay, So God wants the lampstand to have olive oil provided by all of God's children and to be constantly added to this candle uh, so it doesn't burn out. Okay, I can only imagine how stressful that job would be. You know, hey guys, light this candle. And by the way, don't ever let it go out one time. I'm sure they had to watch it like a hawk. The oil levels, you know, varied all, all the time. They had to constantly watch the, the wicks. You had to pull the wicks out, clip them when they got burnt. So there were no windows in the tabernacle at all. Okay, we get a little peek inside, but that actually wouldn't be there. There were no windows in the tabernacle at all, and it had thick curtains of animal skins. And I can say with full confidence that with those thick curtains and all the thick animal skin, there, were, there was no light whatsoever that got into this room. Now, the lampstand that had to burn continually is actually a great symbol of the word of God given to us in a very dark world. Just like the word of God, those on the outside, those on the outside of the church, they can't really see the word, right? They don't really understand. It doesn't make sense to them. And they don't really care about it. But to those who love God, it is a, a crucial thing to be able to have the word and to be able to live by it, to be able to see with spiritual eyes. Now, the lampstand had to burn constantly for the light to serve its purpose, right? Because with this room being dark, if the candle went out, guess what? The priests couldn't do any of their duties on the inside. So God is giving a, giving a massive hint here to the importance of his word. The lampstand was very, very important. His word is very important. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates <coughs> Excuse me, day and night. On his law he meditates day and night. How long did the candle have to burn? Constantly, right? How long do we need to be in the word and meditate on it? Day and night. If we want to see with spiritual eyes, the word of God has to be constantly turning in our minds, taking root day and night. Now, let me tell you something that irritates the fire out of me, and I'm sure most pastors. So don't ever say this to me. I'll call you out on it. When I hear someone say, I don't think you have to read your Bible every day to be a good Christian. Not to be too ugly, but that is literally the dumbest thing you could ever say. It's like saying, I don't have to fellowship with God in order to be a good Christian. It really does not make any logical sense. So yes, actually you do have to read your Bible every day, constantly, if you're going to spend proper time with the Lord. Because who really, honestly, prefers blindness? No one, right? No one prefers blindness. Psalm 119, 105, it says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If I ever hear someone say, I don't think you have to use your headlights to drive every night, just slowly walk away, right? Because there's danger involved. 
okay? Not reading your Bible every day is the same thing as driving at night with no lights. Now, we also see that all of God's children, how many? All of God's children provided the oil for the lamp to burn. It's a group effort, group effort right? 100%. Not 99, it's 100%. If this church or any other church is going to, bright, is going to shine brightly for the world to see, there has to be 100% effort given. If you are not spending a lot of time with the Lord, praying and asking how you can provide oil for the church, um, you are single-handedly holding the church back from being able to sh- shine as bright as it can. This is why it's very important to hold each other accountable, by the way. I'll come back to this point in just a minute, the part about the 100%, 100% participation. So verse 5. You must bake 12 loaves of bread from choice flour using uh, four quarts of flour for each loaf. Place the bread before the Lord on the pure gold table and arrange the loaves in two stacks with six loaves in each stack. Put some pure frankincense near each stack to serve as a, as a representative offering, a special gift presented to the Lord. Every Sabbath day, this bread must be laid out before the Lord as a gift from the Israelites. It is an ongoing expression of the eternal covenant. The loaves of bread will belong to Aaron and his descendants who must eat them in a sacred place, for they are most holy. It is the permanent right of the priest to claim this portion of the special gifts presented to the Lord. Okay, So the priest would have to, have to cook 12 loaves of bread, right, which represent the 12 what? Tribes of Israel. And the bread would be split into two stacks, right? Six pieces on each stack. And they'd be pr- placed on the table. And if you look at your if you look at your paper I, I showed you, if you can squint really, really hard, you can see over there to the right, there's a little table, and it looks like uh, six or two stacks of, uh, of six uh, pieces of bread there. I don't know if you can see it. So then the frankincense was put next, next to it as an offering to the Lord. So every week the priest would come in and they would eat the bread, except for the small portion of bread and frankincense that would be burned on the altar right there by the uh, curtain as an offering to the Lord. Now, the bread that the priest ate was extremely important. This bread was nourishing for the priest, and they needed it on a weekly basis. Now, the way the land was divided up for the Israelites, there was one group of people that didn't get any land, and that was the, the, the Levites, the priest, right? They didn't get any land because it was their job to, att- to attend to the temple. So since they didn't have any land, they couldn't farm and get some of their food, right? So what did they have to rely on? Things like this bread. So they, they relied heavily on these meals, which is crucial even for their survival. So this is why Jesus said he was the bread of life. This is why we eat bread as part of the Lord's Supper, to remind us of the necessity of being nourished by the Lord. And in the Lord's Prayer, he also says, give us this day our daily bread, right? So the word, we're still talking about the word. The word is important for us in several capacities. Number one, to let our light shine to the world so they can see us, but it's also for our own good, Right? So let's go back to the 100% participation of the church, right? So just like the importance of God's word, um, shining, like I said, um, it's important for our own daily nourishment. Now, we want to study God's word to honor him, absolutely, but it also gives us spiritual life, okay? So it's actually a two-way street, okay? I spent a a majority of my life thinking, um, you know, I have to give up everything that I enjoy in order to really honor the Lord and really be obedient to the Lord, but it's really not that case. Not the case at all. What is really the truth is if you honor the Lord and obey the Lord, you actually have certain joys and excitements that you never got to experience before, okay? It's actually, we are actually created 
to love the Lord and to experience a pleasure in a way that God created us for. So we don't hold each other accountable, screaming at each other, right? Nobody likes that kind of church member. We actually hold each other accountable because we love each other and we want what's best for each other. So let's pick up in in verse 10. One day, a man who had an Israelite mother, an Egyptian father, came out of his tent and got into a fight with one of the Israelite men. During the fight, the son of an Israelite woman blasphemed the name of the Lord with a curse. So the man was brought to Moses for judgment. His mother was uh, Shilomith. Uh, your pronunciation of that word is probably better than mine. The daughter of Debri, the tribe of Dan. They kept the man in custody until the Lord's will and the matter uh, should become clear to them. Verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take the blasphemer outside of the camp until all who heard him curse, until all those who heard him curse lay their hands on his head. Then the entire community stoned him to, and tell the entire community to stone him to death. Say the, to the people of Israel, Those who curse their God will be punished for their sin. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be stoned to death by the whole community of Israel. Any native-born Israelite or foreigner among you who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be put to death. Anyone who takes another person's life must be put to death. Anyone who kills another person's animal must pay for it in full, a live animal for the animal that was killed. Verse 19, anyone who injures another person must be dealt with according to the injury inflicted. A fracture for a fracture, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Whatever anyone does to injure another person must be paid back in kind. Whoever kills an animal must pay for it in full, but whoever kills another person must be put to death. This same standard applies both to native-born Israelites and to the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. So after Moses gave all these instructions to the Israelites, they took the blasphemer outside the camp and stoned him to death. And the Israelites did just as the Lord had commanded. So here we have a guy whose parents were unequally yoked, meaning the mom was a, a child of God, an Israelite, and his father was from Egypt. Now, it doesn't say exactly where his father is. We don't know if he's uh, here with the Israelites, but he's probably not since, they, since Moses went out of the way to uh, single him out as an Egyptian. Okay, so he probably stayed behind in Egypt or maybe was killed in the, uh, uh, in the, with uh, the army. Um, but I will just say quickly that being a child of God um, who is married to someone who is not a child of God doesn't automatically uh, mean that your kid is going to be doomed, but it does put your kid at, in a huge risk of being taught uh, poorly um, and will, could ultimately end in them not following the Lord. So this guy comes out of the tent, and he just gets in a fight. Right? And he curses God. So he's taken to Moses to get his punishment. And I actually love how humble Moses is here. He has no clue what to do here because there's no laws that God has given that apply directly to this situation. And that actually really encourages me because I know in my life, it feels like 99% of the, the things that I go through, the, the trials and, tr- and troubles and struggles, 99% of it is kind of in that gray area. Like you go surfing the Bible for it and you're like... Well, this situation isn't exactly like that, right? There's sometimes a big gray area. So what he did was instead of making a quick decision, he pulled the guy aside, held him aside, and waited on the Lord. It is actually okay to hold on to things for a while until you spend time in the Bible and pray. 
doing that, number one, honors God, and number two, provides the opportunity for the best possible decision. So ultimately, God's punishment for this man blaspheming his name is death, and it directly violates one of the Ten Commandments that has been given. Now, I'm fully aware at how, how harsh this punishment seems, okay? Um, just this past week, I had someone come to me and ask me about this. You know, God seems so brutal um, for punishing people what, for what seems like little um, tiny sins, right? So the problem here is the thinking that, um, you know, we have this thinking that the punishment must fit the crime, right? I agree with that. I think everyone agrees with that. So what it seems like here is that the punishment is way too harsh for the crime. If that's the case, then we either need to adjust the punishment down or we need to have a better understanding of really how bad the crime is. So the problem here is that we must adjust our thinking of the crime. Blaspheming God is no small offense at all. It is an enormous offense. Let's not forget that God is absolutely perfect. He created the universe just with his words. He is the one who created life and allowed us to enjoy his creation. Everything we do on this earth is a complete and total gift. God is incredibly kind, loving, and generous to allow us to even be alive. And even though God's children fall short, he provided a way for us to continue to have fellowship with him by sending his son. Blaspheming an infinite God is deserving of an infinite punishment. This is why one single sin destines us for hell. So this man has committed an infinite sin against God. So therefore, it makes no sense to give him a little finite punishment, right? An infinite sin against God calls for an infinite uh, punishment. So now the punishment absolutely fits the crime. We see that when we commit a sin against another person, it must be paid back in similar fashion. But a sin against an infinite being must be paid back infinitely. If his crime was just against, you know, someone else, just for fighting someone else, um, they could have just given him a little tooth sandwich and, and, been, and been done with it. But his crime was against the Lord, so it must be an infinite punishment. Now, I'm not going to keep you here long tonight, so I'm actually fixing the clothes. This is what I want us to focus on. When we sin and we wake up in the morning alive, that is incredible mercy on the Lord's part to you. Every time we wake up and we are not punished for our sin, we need to humble ourselves and bow down before the Lord and give him the praise that he deserves. We need to carefully consider the importance of staying in his word. We need to give careful consideration to the importance of being spiritually fed on a daily basis. You know, one of the songs that we sing in children's ministry um, is, you know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. It's a kid's song, but it's really spiritually profound. You know, the, the next verse is, uh, won't let Satan it out. Okay, just like the candle in the tabernacle that is never supposed to burn out, us being fed from the word is never supposed to end. So if we are, as a church, going to give 100% together and hold each other accountable 100%, that's what we need to do. We need to dedicate ourselves to uh, keeping each other accountable. We need to stay focused on the Lord, and we need to be as obedient as we can. And that is where I'll end. Let me close this in prayer. Lord, we just love you. Lord, we thank you. Lord, for your kindness. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. Lord, we're so grateful. Lord, for the many times that you show us uh, grace and mercy, Lord, when we deserve much worse. 
Lord, we're grateful, Lord, that we can, Lord, enjoy our time with you. Lord, I pray that you just continue to be with our church, Lord, as we learn to grow. Lord, I pray that we do uh, keep each other held accountable, Lord. Help us to stay in the word. Help us to stay in prayer. Lord, I'm so grateful and thankful for the work that you're doing in this church. All this we ask in your name. Amen.